Have you ever wondered <clears throat> if the disagreements in music are just something that's happened in the last few years or whether it's always been there? Well, let me give you a little history. Um, a brother who helped me understand um, kind of this issue on music, because I struggled with it for years myself, was Milo Thompson. I don't know if anybody ever heard Milo Thompson. Um, I'd like to get him to come back here and speak in our state fellowship sometime. <clears throat> but he's got a book on music, and I sat under his teaching for a weekend at one of our churches in New York, and it was very, very helpful uh, to me. But I just want to share some things here that I found most interesting. Very early in church history, for reasons that can't be explained, singing actually stopped in churches. It wasn't until the 17th century that singing was reintroduced to the church. And Benjamin Keach is the one that reintroduced the music to church. And as a result of it, there were pamphlets printed on both sides of the issue, blasting each other because you didn't have music or they did have music. And at that particular time, churches split into singing churches and non-singing churches. And that's just singing. That it wasn't even dealing with instruments or anything else. Then the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards wrote these words. By the old way, each male worshiper sang without reference to the time and pitch of all the others. The women remained silent. By the new way, or singing by the rule, the entire congregation arrived at the same point at the same hymn at approximately the same time in approximately the same key. Would you like that, Roger and Josh, leading that kind of a group? But on this issue, almost every parish in the land had been locked into a more or less deadly strife at some time during the 1720s. The conservatives held that to exchange the old jargon for musical law and order was, a, was mightily to displease the Almighty. To follow rules in singing was to make the psalm purely perfunctory and hence to rob it of all flavor of personal devotion. Talk about bad music. Only the men sang, and each sang whatever they wanted with no harmony or melody. That must have been mass confusion, if you can imagine that. If they did use any harmony or melody, it was considered to be offensive to God. I don't understand that thinking, but that's the way it was in the 1800s in the churches. Isaac Watt, who wrote approximately 600 hymns through his lifetime, many of which we sing as our favorites today. At age 18, Isaac complained to his father, who was a preacher, about how bad the music was in the church. And so his father said, well then, young man, why don't you give us something better to sing? And then Isaac began to write hymns. He then became known as the father of hymnody. He left the traditional metrical psalm pattern and went to the use of human-composed music. He was generally considered very radical, yet his hymns today are considered by some to be the standard of our music today. Modern tunes were used, and I used the word modern tunes. Some say that bar tunes were used, and I'm not sure that's the right term to be used. Modern tunes were, tunes were used and put Christian words to them, but I'm not sure it's accurate that they are bar tunes, um, as, as some want to put it. 
But examples of his hymns are When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Joy to the World, We're Marching to Zion, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past. Those are hymns that we considered standard, and they were radical in his day. Spurgeon. He emphasized that the church should be content with the ancient precedence of music. He condemned the new music in his day, which is currently the long-standing music of our day. This is a surprising one. Handel's Messiah. It was condemned as vulgar theater. Critics said it was too much repetition and not enough message. It was considered blasphemous when it first came out. And of course today, when it's played, we stand in honor of the God who he represents when it's being played. Dio Moody and Ira Sankey. And if you're not familiar with who Dio Moody is, he was a, an evangelist in the United States and in Europe. And he realized the importance of music in his uh, meetings. And he brought Sankey, Ira Sankey along to sing and to lead the music of the congregation. As a quote from uh, Milo's book, an elderly deacon in Edinburgh expressed the sentiment of much of Scotland when he said that Horatio Bonner concerning Sankey, what that one does is an abomination to the Most High. In the first place, he hardly sings any psalms at all. The ones he does sing are incorrect translations. I won't, I won't call it music at all. And what he brings to the sanctuary suggests performances in places less religious than churches and chapels. Sankey accompanied himself with a small reed organ, which his critics fared no better than his songs. After Sankey sang, what shall the harvest be? An important person critically remarked to Moody that if he kept singing songs like that, he would soon have them all dancing. God used the music to enhance the ministry of the word and many souls were saved through Moody's ministry. The piano and the organ. The organ became a popular accompanied outdoor, uh, a popular instrument that accompanied outdoor events in circuses and in gladiator combats. The early organ may have even been accompanied to the slaughter of early Christians in the Roman arena. It wasn't until the 13th century that the organ was, became uh, a common instrument in the masses in the Catholic Church. And that, of course, it was not done without a great deal of opposition. By the time of the Reformation, the organ was quite at home in the Catholic Church. Yet, the association of the instrument with Catholicism gave it a bad reputation among some of the reformers who promptly condemned its use. The magistrates in Zurich decreed in 1525 that there should be no more playing of the organs in the city and in the churches. And soon after, the organ of the great minister was broken in pieces. Calvin shunned the instrument, and through his influence, many organs were destroyed in succeeding years. Uh, the minister, this is in Milo's book again. Um, the instrument banished was so complete, by 1727, only one organ could be found in all the churches of Scotland. The eminent uh, cotton 
Mather, 1663-1728, pastor of Boston's church, North Church, a prolific writer, argued that if organs were permitted, other instruments would later be accompanied and then dancing would follow. That was their, that's where they was afraid it was going to go. And on, on the subject of, of instruments, I've talked to some pastors that believe certain instruments should never be used in the church because ungodly people use them. Well, if that's the case, no instrument would ever be used because they're all used in some ungodly manner. So, why share these sketches of history? Satan knows how to keep the church off balance. And music, obviously, is a very big issue, and he can do it with that, and he's done that. Now, like I said, we've seen hymns that were considered uh, radical in, in their day. Today, they're commonplace with us today. Why is that? It's all because of a wrong perspective on those things when they're coming across and how they're being used and what they're being used for. Satan has definitely entered the church and created friction, not just in the area of music, but in many other areas. But this today, of course, is a big issue. So the children of God, we're obligated to search the scriptures, that's what we've been doing, and to use music as God intended for it to do, without it being a performance, but in a way of presenting Christ and of being an encouragement to each other. Let's begin by looking at Luke chapter 6, please. We want to look again at the heart of worship. We've tried to keep this in the forefront of our minds as we've studied this because everything we do should be worship, especially in the area of music. I believe that's what God has designed it for. And I know in my own personal life, it enhances my worship of Him, and it should be yours as well. And when we come together as a body of believers, it should be doing the same. In Luke 6, 43, we read, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of a good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So if you want to know what's in somebody's heart, all you have to do is listen to their conversation. Their tone of voice, and we've all given our way, ourselves away, haven't we, by just our tone of voice. We might use the right words, but our tone of voice gives it away. And if our tone of voice doesn't get away, our body language does. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You can tell when your wife or husband is upset or when the kids aren't, aren't where they ought to be by just their body language. That's what this passage is talking about. What we say and do reveals what's in our heart. Now we want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 in light of this and, and develop this a little bit further. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Ephesians 5, 15 says, 
Then see then that you walk circumspectly. And if you're not sure what that word means, write the word cautious underneath it. Because that's what the word circumspectly means. See then you walk cautiously, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, and psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Well, as we begin looking at this passage, Holy Spirit feeling and worship is necessary. All believers are, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're not going to turn to John 14 because I think we're all familiar with that passage that when we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and lives within us. And that's why when we sin, we should feel like there's something wrong or we've done something wrong. It's the Holy Spirit telling us that we're wrong. But He indwells us. And again, there are those who believe that we must pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And they go through all kinds of antics sometimes to indicate that they've been filled by the Holy Spirit. They're slain in the Spirit. They fall. They speak in tongues. And folks, that's not what Scripture is teaching. Believers must be filled. And that word filled, again, if, you, if your Bible is, has that word in there and hasn't put it in another way, <clears throat> the word filled means to be controlled. Ephesians 5.18 Be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled. And it, and it compares it to alcohol. And again, I don't know what that is because I've never been drunk, but I've seen enough people that have been. When you're on alcohol or drugs, you're not in control of your own faculties. In fact, uh, Brother Tripp um, shares the example. When he was a kid, he went to a family reunion, and his mother took him, and he had his two brothers. He and his brother went, and uh, they were the only ones saved in their family. So they went and did their part as far as being with the family. But when the booze came out, um, one of his uncles uh, began to make some pretty raunchy comments about the ladies in the group. And so his mother immediately snatched up her two boys and took them to the car. And before she started the car up, she said, boys, I want you to listen to something I'm about to tell you. When people get into alcohol, what comes out of their mouth is not something new. It's something that was always there. The alcohol just loosened it up and made it come out. That's the kind of thing that takes place with a drunk. You and I are to be under that kind of control with the Holy Spirit. That whatever goes on and what comes out of our mouth is coming out because we're letting the Holy Spirit bring it out of us. So we don't want to seek to get more of the Holy Spirit. If you're born again and you're sitting here this morning, you have all the Holy Spirit you're only going to get. The question is this. How much of the Holy Spirit does He have of you and of me? An illustration I read, and I can't remember who, who it was now, but it, it made a, an impression on my mind. This man was 
praying in his office and wanting to give his life over to Christ completely. And into his mind came a picture of, of a house with many rooms and, and many locked doors. And the picture was that in that house, he had given God the keys to all the doors except for one or two. And God was wanting him to give him the keys to those doors as well. And as he was praying, the Lord was telling him, give me all the keys to your house, to all these rooms, or none. And he was wrestling with it. And he could sense that the Holy Spirit was leaving, or God was leaving. It was so real to him that he took his keys out of his pocket and he threw them on the desk and said, God, here's the keys to my whole life. You've got complete control of it. And folks, I suspect that we all do that. I know this person does. I wish I could say without a doubt that every room in my house, personally, is totally committed to God. I don't need more of the Holy Spirit. He needs more of me. And we segregate parts of our lives and we don't give them all to Him. We got areas that we want to put taboos on because there's areas in our lives that we... That's not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So it's our choice to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. It should be a daily prayer somewhere in our day. Holy Spirit control every part of my life today. That'd be a great prayer to pray before our feet even hit the floor in the morning, wouldn't it? We need to empty ourselves of our selfish desires. I think we're all easily convinced that the only thing that robs me of my fellowship with God is my own stupid selfishness. I want things my way. We need to be pursuing diligently God's desires for our lives. That's where real joy is coming from. And in fact, again, a book I'm reading, I read another chapter today on thinking. <laughs> we don't think about what God about God enough. We don't think what, about what God wants us to do. But that's what God wants us to do. And He wants to do it diligently. We need to respond based on our level of the knowledge of, our wor of the Word. That's why this needs to be preeminent. That's why as long as I'm here as your pastor, I'm always going to preach from this book and nothing else. Because right. this is all the this is all there is. There's the only way we can discover Him. And we need to increase our knowledge of Him. Again, we try, I, I did my best to encourage our, our teens this week. I believe our teens are at a critical time when they, are, they need to be making some major decisions and become godly. They're young men. Yeah, they act childish, but some of us adults act childish too. And in the right place, that's okay. We did a lot of childish things this week, and we had a ball. You know, they brought these, I don't know what you guys called them, but they stink pretty good. <laughs> stink balls, you know, they had to throw them in the fire. It was thrill for them, stink bombs. They had to, you know, I didn't ball them out for it. It was simple. It was fun. We had a good time. But when it came time to study God's Word, I said, guys, it's focus time. This is really why we're here. 
to study God's word and to get to know him. And I want to challenge you to love God more than anything this side of heaven. I believe a, a teenager on fire can, for God can put us as adults to shame. And that's what I want for our teens. To be on fire for God and to put some of us adults to shame in their enthusiasm and love for God. In fact, I believe that's why some of the music that we listen to is not always where we'd like it to be because some of these young people, through the best they have, they're doing their best to ex express their love for God. And the music may not always be where I'd like it to be, where I think it should be, but I think God, is, God sees the heart. And praise God, they're doing something to express their love for Him. In John 4, 24, we're reminded there, and I think we need to turn there because it's crucial to our worship. John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. John MacArthur said these words, When the Word of God dominates your life, your praise is regulated and your worship is conformed to the divine standard. This is the perfect blend. Emotion regulated by understanding and enthusiasm directed by the Word of God. I think that's a very important statement when it comes to our use of music. I really believe that the more we get involved in this book, the more our music will be of God's liking. And music can be over-emotional. It's designed to stir the emotions too, too much. But at the same time, we need to realize that music is meant to be emotional by God's design. But the emotion needs to be coming because of the correct presentation of God's word and the correct uh, knowledge of who he is. I don't know about you, but when I think of God and I meditate on him, I do get emotional. I'm, I'm, I'm in constant awe of how this amazing God could want to spend any time with me at all. I'm just a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner. Why does he want to have any attention to me at all? I, I can't even think about that without getting emotional. And there's music that just enhances that. And I don't, I don't apologize for the emotion that God has put in my heart. because, of, And I never used to be this way. And the reason I never used to be this is because I was all wrapped up with myself. I was worried about what people might think if I expressed my emotions. You know, the American way, men must be tough, can't show any emotions. Well, our Savior sure showed enough, and there's no more man than him. The tears can reveal what's in the heart. So when we choose to argue over music or any other issue, if it's not done properly, it's not done in worship. Now we need to have discussions about these things, no question about it. We need to work together. But 
We need to be careful that we're not letting ourselves get out of control and the Holy Spirit is not controlling us. And I've seen churches split over the color carpet. That was my biggest fear. We started the building the church in Huttonsville. That was my first building project. You know, I was actually pastor over, and I'd heard these nightmares. <laughs> but I tell you, that building project there and in New York both, each one was a blessing. There was never an argument. It was so much fun to do it. That's one reason I got sick in Hamlin. I, I, the, 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 in fact, the builder said, Pastor, you don't need to be here. I know I don't need to be here, but I want to be here. This is fun. <laughs> I'm enjoying your fellowship. And, and I just wore myself out uh, physically as a result of it. But our building programs were not nightmares. Now, we did get into a little issue when it comes to decor issues. And I don't know who's doing all this decorating, but somebody knows what they're doing. And I think Mary was in charge of a lot of this <laughs> and I appreciate that. But we needed someone to do that in our church in Hamlin. And so I asked for volunteers. And uh, I share this because it just shows you the power of God. Four ladies volunteered. These four ladies didn't know how to get along. <laughs> but I put them together on the same team. Anyways. Now, maybe you think, Pastor, that was stupid. Well, maybe, but the outcome wasn't. These ladies all had their own way. And not just a little bit. They were just, this is the way it needs to be done. And uh, so I met with them the first couple of times to kind of give them some directions of where I wanted to go, what to do, and what their expectations were. And then I asked one of the ladies if she'd be in charge. She seemed to have a little bit edge on, on decorating things. And uh, she had a couple of meetings without me, and it wasn't exactly smooth. It wasn't really bad either. But I said, would you come and help us out one more time? And, and I did. And I just helped them realize, gals, you're all talented, and you got to bring your efforts together. And it'll be a blessing for all four of you when you get there. You all want to do this and you're all talented. So you're the ones that do the job. But let's do it for the glory of God and not for my glory. That was my design. That was my setup. And I'm here to tell you, those four ladies come together in a way that was amazing. All because of the power of God. They got their hearts right with God. We want to please God, and we want to work together as a team. It was just amazing to see God do that. Now, was it stupid for me to bring them together? I don't think so now. I had doubts at the beginning, but, <laughs> but sometimes God has to put us through the ringer sometimes to wring out the selfishness and put the Holy Spirit in there. Same thing applies with our music sometimes and other issues. The Holy Spirit fills us the characteristics. Ephesians 5.19. We need to speak to one another. And notice how he talks about the speaking. It's in the form of music. We not only sing to God, we sing to each other. <clears throat> not a few think about that much when you're sitting there in the, or standing, we don't sit when we're singing 
when we're sitting in the pew or standing, we need our singing to each other. Now, yes, we need to be directing our attention and focus to Him. But we need to be realize we're also singing to each other. We need to sing to encourage one another. Now, that one song we sang was a little bit higher range than I could sing, so I didn't sing it. So I just listened to you. I tell you, folks, you know how to sing. And I've been in churches where there's just no enthusiasm. It's just a funeral march every time you sing. Not here. Thank God for that. And I really believe it's because it's what's in your heart that's coming out. Churches that are singing dead songs is because they're dead inside. They're just going through the motions. So if we come here on Sunday and we begin to sing and we're just going through the motions, and we need to say, look, God, forgive me. Help me to sing this to you and to my brothers and sisters in Christ. We, they need this encouragement. I need this encouragement. Because every one of us, when we came in today, here today, we all have big or small issues, don't we? Some of us have physical problems that just, we don't feel good. We got pain that just doesn't go away. We might have some emotional things that are stressing us out. Things that we just don't know where the answer is and what's going on. We might have financial issues. We might have marital issues. We might even have some deep spiritual issues. Maybe things aren't going well on the job, or maybe you don't have a job. Every one of us comes in here with something different, don't we? Now, we have a God that's big enough to take care of all those needs. But God's not going to do it with just Him alone. Could He do that? Do you really need me in your life? Not really. But I don't understand it. But I need you in my life, and God put you in my life. And you need me as well. That's why he brought us together here as a church family. Amen. And so when we sing, it's a way to minister to each other. Because if we come all in here and we're, Jesus loves me, this I know. Are you really excited about that? We should be shouting to the top of the, Jesus loves me. That's the way it should be because there's nothing greater than that. And so we be, should be singing to the top of our lungs because the problems that we have, if we look at them, most of them are just petty things. When we get to eternity, it won't matter. Excuses, I can't sing, so I won't sing. Well, that's your choice. But this passage of Scripture makes it crystal clear to sing. And if you don't want to sing, check your heart out. See what the reason is. If you're uncomfortable singing, there's only one way to break that. Start singing. Don't that sing good? The Bible says make a joyful noise. Most of us do. And at one point in history, it sounds like they did. The men sang whatever they want, whatever they want, however they want. I just can imagine that. Can you imagine all the men in this church just singing whatever they want for 20 minutes? Wow, what a nightmare that must have been. <laughs> but that was normal for them. I don't understand it, but that's the way it was. 
Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Obviously from this verse, and we're not going to go into the significance of each one because I don't really think it's important. The, the importance here is there's a large, wide variety of music. And God has designed it that way. Milo Thompson said this, Every generation needs new songs coming from the hearts of those experiencing the grace of God along with the best of the old to express its faith. The new songs say God is doing something here and now, not just a hundred years ago. I think that's an excellent statement about today's music. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. Again, we looked at Luke. What comes from our heart comes out of our mouth. God is looking at the heart. And I used to judge very harshly those who were singing this heavy rock and roll music. And again, I don't believe that's where we need to go with it. I don't think Christians should go that with it. But I have come to this conclusion. God is looking at their heart. Even though I may not enjoy it and I may not like it, if God's looking at heart and that's the best they can do with all they have, God is going to honor it. Now, if there's something there's, if it's theologically wrong, I can't agree with it. If it's simply for the purpose of money and prestige, I can't agree with it. But if all those things are not there, then I have to give them the benefit of the doubt that what they're singing, they're doing from the heart and God is honoring it. Do I have to agree with it? Do I have to listen to it? No. But I have to give them that benefit because there was a day in my life when I wouldn't do that. Even in our singing, God's not looking for polished music. We do our best because God wants us to give our best. But if it's not polished, it's not smooth, and it's not by trained musicians or correct. In fact, I know of one pastor. If you can't do 100% on it, they don't do it at all. They don't have a youth program because he wasn't satisfied with the quality of the youth leaders. So they have nothing. Guess where the young people went? Out the door. There's a church that's about ready to die because they're all old folks. It's sad. I don't expect ever. I don't do my best. I do my best, but is it, is it top notch? No, but I don't apologize for it. I'm doing the best with what God gave me. And that's all I expect of you, and that's all God expects. He's looking at the heart. So we do our best. In fact, uh, Stephanie's going to be teaching this week in Vacation Bible School. It's her first time. Is she going to do her best? Probably not. Uh, let me put that back up. Is she going to do her best? Yes. <laughs> Is it going to be top-notch teaching? Probably not. But she's learning. And you got to learn somewhere. In fact, she's been teaching children's church for the last couple months just in preparation for that. She wants to learn. In fact, I feel... I, I look back over the years now from where I was in Huttonsville preaching and teaching where I am today. I don't know how Huttonsville survived. I'll be honest with you. I was green. I had a lot to learn. It took me three years to kind of settle into how to preach and to teach. But they survived. 
And the church is still doing well. Praise the Lord. It wasn't because of me. It was because of the God of this book. So we sing to the Lord for who He is. Again, I can't challenge you enough, and I challenged our teenagers this week. The God, God is awesome list, I gave it to the teens this week. I did something I've never done with our teens this time. I gave them a half hour to spend in devotions with God. I said, you take this, God is awesome, and you take one of these verses, and you read it, and you praise God for who He is for that characteristic. So just to see how they're doing the next day, I asked them, share with me one attribute you learned of God. Each one had a different one, and each one is able to relate it. If they keep doing that the rest of their lives, these men are going to be godly men. I pray that they will. We need to sing to the Lord for what He is. He's God. We need to get God out of the human box. You know what I mean by that? We limit what God can do because we squeeze Him into a human box. And we need to get Him out of that box because He's far from being human. He's unlimited what He can do. And I believe we don't see enough of what He does because we do limit Him. Because what the Bible says, you don't get because you don't ask. We need to sing to the Lord for what He will do on our behalf. And what he does may not always be what we asked him to do. But it will always be best. And so if our plan does not go the way we had a plan, we need to thank God you got a better plan. And I'm willing to go with it, God. When music is sung by spirit-filled, controlled saints, it will not be about me. It will be all about him. And it also should be all about those who are around us hearing me. In fact, I've there's some folks in our churches in the past that I didn't know they could sing until I sang in front of them. And I could hear their voice. I said, you need to be in the choir, or you need to sing a solo, or you need to be singing, period. you got an awesome voice that can really enhance the ministry of music here. And some have stepped up to the plate and done that. And they've been a blessing. In fact, that's how Jim kind of got started out, I hear, from Pastor McBride. Because he talked to Pastor McBride. He said he was coming here. He said, you need to have Jim sing. I heard him sing accidentally once. And I said, you need to be singing. And he's been singing ever since. And we heard Jim sing a couple weeks ago. And he does have a great voice. So in conclusion, our singing done, is our singing done out of a heart that is awed of God? Again, I can't say enough about taking time. You have to take time to focus on Him. Our sin nature will keep us from doing it. But if you want a relationship with God, you must take time out of your schedules and focus on Him. That will change what comes out of our mouth. That will come, change what comes out of our heart. Is our singing for the edification of those sitting next to me? Am I singing so that that person next to me who is maybe discouraged or frustrated or in pain is encouraged by the enthusiasm that I'm singing about my God? 
Am I helping them to, see, to refocus? Again, the boys during our Bible study, they participated very well. But sometimes they participated too much. <laughs> they get sidetracked a little bit. And I said, boys, focus. Focus. Let's get back to what we're on. And they did. They're very good. Again, I'd take these boys anywhere. It's uh, I wish you dads could go with me. I really do. Uh, and I know, I know some of you would like to do that, but uh, it's an awesome time. I, I feel privileged that I can go with them and, and spend that time with them. Three, am I willing to enjoy singing the music that another saint finds so encouraging, but I don't necessarily like it myself? Number four, is the Holy Spirit controlling my heart so that I am drawn closer to Him? Again, music is extremely important. That is pretty obvious from all of history. I don't know what the music was like. I wish we had CDs of <laughs> what it was like during Christ's day. What it was like during Israel's day. I think it would be awesome to hear that. In fact, some of that music, I think we might be surprised at how enthusiastic it was. It might shock some of us Baptists to find out how much enthusiasm was really in their music when they had choirs of 3,000, an orchestra of 288. We're going to look at that in here in a couple weeks. And the enthusiasm, I think, was off the charts compared to sometimes where we want to be. But why? Can you imagine the singing that must have been going on when the temple was being dedicated under Solomon. That was the peak of Israel's spiritualness. Can you imagine the singing on that day? I believe it just, I think all of heaven was just ringing with joy. Because Israel, the chosen people, and the God of the universe, for a brief period of time, were on the same page. The singing must have been phenomenal. I wish I could have been there. You know, someday we're going to be. And we're going to sing in that same kind of enthusiasm. Because praise God, there won't be any sin nature in me anymore to hinder my singing. I'll be totally cut loose to sing with enthusiasm and excitement for God. And I will see Him in all His glory. I don't know about you, but that's going to be an exciting day. Can you imagine what it's going to be like the day of the rapture? And then when the temple's rededicated again and Christ is actually going to be there for a thousand years, our singing's going to be off the charts. And I'll bet you there's going to be music there we've never heard before. Beyond our comprehension. So let's use music today as God intended to reveal what's in our heart and our awe of who He is. Because we have an awesome God that doesn't have to give us a second of His eternity. But because of the shed blood of Christ, He's given us His eternity. He wants to have a relationship with me and you. I can't comprehend that. It blows my mind every time I think about it. Why? I don't know. But I thank God that He has. And when 
I get like this and I can't sing. You know how hard it is to keep my mouth shut just so I can preach? Because I want to sing. And like we sing today, I want every breath I take to be breathing in who He is. I am desperate for Him. Are you? Desperately in need of Him. I'm lost without Him. And need to worship Him and see Him for who He is. Let's pray. Father, our heart of worship needs to be totally focused upon You. And you have given us the privilege of music. And we want to use it in such a way that will only enhance our relationship with you. Enhance our vision of who you are. God, I must admit, I long for the rapture. When you would take us all out of this sin-cursed world. Remove our sin curse from us. So we can begin and eternity without any sin nature at all. And Father, I believe when that happens, the music, <laughs> there won't be any question about whether it's right or wrong. It'll be from a heart that's pure of worship. We long for that day. Help us to use music in such a way that it can only enhance our relationship with you and each other. But we know that can't happen unless we're totally focused upon you. Help us, Father, to do that every day of our lives. We're grateful that you're an awesome God, one that loves us beyond comprehension, that's proven by your son's death, burial, and resurrection. We commit this service to you, Father, and these words that they will change our hearts in ways that they've never been changed before because it's the truth. And we love the truth because the truth is Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen.